Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Search, Ponder, and Pray, a podcast where we strive to follow the Come, Follow Me outline provided by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as we study the scriptures and try to apply them to our daily lives and um, try and draw close to the Savior. Um, I hope you're having a wonderful day today. Um, Let's go ahead and get started today with a word of prayer before we jump in. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank thee so very much for all that thou hast blessed us with. We thank thee, Father, for thy compassion, thy patience. We thank thee for the scriptures, that we may study them and gain knowledge. We ask thee, Father, to please bless us as we go about our day today, that we will keep these things in mind, that we will find ways in which we can apply them to our lives, to better ourselves and to help to bless the lives of those around us. Please forgive us of our sins, Father. Help us to come back to live with thee again. And we pray for these things ever so humbly. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. All right, so let's start off. So today we're going to be in John chapter 15, if you're following along. If you're not, I don't I don't blame you. Sometimes, I mean, a lot of times, like I said before, sometimes when I listen to podcasts, and I'm like, well, let's read together. I'm like, well, I'm driving in my car right now. I, I can't be doing that. So um, if, you're, if, you're, if you're just sitting there quietly by yourself and you'd like to follow along, great. We're in John chapter 15. And of course, we'll be using the, uh, the New Testament Institute Student Manual, which you can find in the Gospel Library app. Or I believe if you go to like Deseret Book or any of the church distribution centers, or I think even the church's website, the, so the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints uh, website, uh, you can find these manuals. You can either purchase them like a physical copy or you can just find them digitally. Either one works great. But like I said, we're going to start in cha- uh, John chapter 15. So this is a kind of a continuation during the um, the Last Supper of Jesus' teachings to his disciples at this time. All right, so in verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. All right, so this is a scripture that I've, I've referred to, I think, a few times. I am, I am, I am the vine and ye are the branches. And he talks, he talks about it here in a second a little bit more. Well, let's, let's read verse 4 and 5, and then we'll jump over the, to the manual. So in verse 4, he says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For one without me, ye can do nothing. For without me, ye can do nothing. All right, let's jump over to the Institute Manual real quick and see what it has to say about this. So, um, You'll have to forgive me, I'm using a little bit of a different setup, so it's going to be a little bit slower today to kind of jump back and forth. There it is. Okay, I am the true vine. In order to teach his disciples about the relationship to him, the Savior used the metaphor of a grapevine. Israel's prophets commonly, commonly used grapevines and vineyards as metaphors so that disciples could easily understand. 
Elder, Elder James E. Talmadge of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles explained how the Savior's analogy of the vine and branches teaches that the disciples were completely dependent upon Jesus Christ, just as every person who lives on earth is dependent upon him. He says, A grander analogy is not to be found in the world's literature. Those ordained servants of the Lord were as helpless and useless without him as is a bough severed from the tree. As a branch is made fruitful only by virtue of the nourishing sap it receives from the rooted trunk, and if cut away or broken off, withers, dries, and becomes utterly worthless except for as fuel for the burning, so those men who ordained to the holy apostleship would find themselves strong and fruitful in good works only as they remained in steadfast communion with the Lord. Without Christ, they, what they were, what they, what were they? But unschooled Galileans. Some of them fishermen, one a publican, the rest undistinguished attainments, and all of of them, and all of them weak mortals. Then in the second little section, abide in me, for without me you can do nothing. As the Savior taught using the metaphor of the vine and branches, he emphasized that we are to abide in him, using the, the word abide repeatedly in John 15 to help us understand the concern, the concept being taught by the Savior. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland explained, abide in me is an understandable and beautiful enough concept in the elegant English of the King James Bible, but abide is not a word we use much anymore. So I gained even more appreciation for this admonition from the Lord when I, un when I was introduced to a translation of this passage in another language. In Spanish, that familiar phrase is rendered permanecer en mí. Forgive me, I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> like the English verb abide, permanecer means to remain, to stay. But even English speakers, like me, can hear the root conjugate there of permanence. The sense of this, then, is stay, but stay forever. That is the call of the gospel message to everyone in the world. Come, to, come but come to remain. Come with conviction and endurance. Come permanently, for your sake and the sake of all the generations who must follow you. Jesus said, Without me, ye can do nothing. I testify that this is God's truth. Christ is everything to us, and we are to abide in him permanently, unyieldingly, steadfastly, forever. For the fruit of the gospel to blossom and to bless our lives, we must be firmly attached to him, the Savior of us all, and to his church, which bears his holy name. He is the vine, and that is our true source of strength and the only source of eternal life. So that's one thing I think I've talked about before. I feel like I have. I've talked about it in my, in my personal life, is that, you know, sometimes our pride gets in the way of what we feel like we can do. We feel like, oh, well, I'm, you know, I got this. I can do this. Maybe even in our callings, we think, I'm just, I'm just a nursery leader. I just go and I am fine. I don't need to, you know, I don't need to pray about it. I don't need to do anything. I don't, why was I even set apart? Because you're doing the Lord's work. That's why. Don't ever think that your calling is, is trivial or menial or small. The calling that you have received, whether it be bishop, Relief Society president, nursery leader, primary leader, ward, ward organist, whatever it may be, ward choir director, any of those things, 
All of those things are an opportunity to bring others unto Christ, to act as a branch, to provide nourishment and strength to the faithful and to those who are seeking faith. And so as we go about to seek to do the Lord's work, which we should constantly be doing, we should constantly seek to do the will of the Lord. That's the whole, that's the whole point. If we're seeking to do that, we must lean on the strength of Christ. Because as it says in verse 6, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, verse 7, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, what ye will, and it shall be done. And what is the point of all this? It tells us in verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so that ye be my disciples. The Father is glorified by this, because he tells us, he tells us in the Pearl of Great Price, in Moses 1, he tells Moses, my work and my glory, the Father speaking to Moses says, my work and my glory is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. So as we go forth in effort to try and bring that to his children, as we go forth to bring about the immortality and eternal life of man, we are adding to the glory of the Father. Now, these chapters are very much pride-killing, which they should be. Pride comes from that great ancient god, um, Molech. It's a dark path. We don't want to go down the dark path. Pride is not something that should be found in the hearts of the children of God. It is difficult to remove, trust me. It's something that we will struggle with for a while, I, I imagine. Constantly creeps in. It's like a weed, like all the weeds in your lawn or your garden. You have, to, you have to constantly be pulling them out. They're always there. But if we do, if we work towards that, we can receive those greater blessings. We have to understand that in this life, we are here, yes, in part to become glorified ourselves, to become glorified beings, but we receive glory from the Father as we go about to do His will, as we humble ourselves, as we become childlike before the Father, as we understand our dependence upon Him. We talked about this before as well, that think about the functions of your body. Let's think about just breathing for a second. There is a certain um, friction, a, a, like a static connection between your diaphragm and the, lung, and the lining of your lungs. Your lungs are stuck to it, which allows you, when you move your chest out, to breathe in and out. Now, if for whatever reason your lungs were to become separated from that, you have no ability to put air into your lungs on your own. You would have to be hooked up to a machine to force air into them because you can't create that vacuum to pull air in. Just in that alone, God is allowing us, when, when, when King Benjamin says, God grants us our daily breath, our every breath, from moment to moment, 
that's in one sense the way he's doing it. Just by allowing, allowing that, our lungs to stay attached by that principle of friction or, or, or whatever it is that's holding our lungs to, to our rib cage that allow us to breathe. And I don't want to bring that up to say, you know, God is this tyrant who, if you don't follow what he says, he will kill you. Obviously, that's not the case, because if that were the case, we would all be dead. <laughs> because God is, God is merciful and long-suffering, and he loves us immensely, and is willing to allow us to make our own choices. But if we want to do things that are worthwhile, if we want to bring forth fruit and be a useful branch, we have to realize that we are tied into the vine. We can't, as a, grape, as a branch on a grapevine, look over at the cherry tree and say, well, I'm going to grow cherries. I'm going to try and pull strength from the cherries. It won't happen, and you'll be greatly displeased. But if we see the truth of it, if we see the truth that God is trying to bless us, bless us in our daily lives with the ability to bless others, then that gives us a chance to really feel and see and partake of the glory of God. Verse 9. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Going back to this concept of laying down our life for our friends. Do we the the phrase do we live for others seems inappropriate, but in a sense, do we live to see the potential of others brought about? Christ laid down his lives for us that we might live. Are we willing to be, in a sense, saviors for our friends and families? Do we sacrifice bits of our time, bits of our life, to try and bless the lives of those around us, be that in prayer, be that in baking cookies, or running over, or just talking to them, or a quick text, or whatever it may be? Are we willing to do that? Let's jump over to the New Testament student manual. As recorded in John 15:10, Jesus promised his disciples that if they would keep his if they kept his commandments, they would abide in his love. In our day, the Lord has given a similar promise. Be faithful and diligent in keeping the commandments of God, and I will encircle thee in the arms of my love. That's found in DNC 
verse 20. So some people, sorry, continuing, some people may feel that because God has such great love for his children, it should not matter whether they keep his commandments. They feel that God's love will excuse them for obeying his laws. President Dallin H. Oaks of the First Presidency explained that God loves all his children, and his universal love bestows many gifts on all of them. But we must keep God's commandments in order to receive God's choicest blessings. God's love is so perfect that he lovingly requires us to obey his commandments because he knows that only through obedience to his laws can we become perfect. He is God's choice as, as he is. Sorry. God's choices blessings are clearly contingent upon obedience to God's laws and commandments. The key teaching is from modern revelation. There is a law irrevocably decreed in heaven before the foundations of the world upon which all blessings are predicated. And when you obtain any blessing from God, it is by obedience to that law upon which it is predicated. If a person understands the teachings of Jesus, he or she cannot reasonably conclude that our loving Heavenly Father or His Divine Son believes that their love supersedes their commandments. That comes from the October 2009 talk, Love and Law. Let's continue on in the, in the manual. Um, it says, as, as the Savior's suffering and death drew near, He told His beloved disciples that they were His friends, explaining that His friends are those who do whatsoever I command you. His words to them also foreshadowed the great sacrifice that he, as the exemplar of true friendship, would make for all mankind. He explained to his disciples, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. This he was about to do. Gordon B. Hink President Gordon B. Hinckley spoke, this, spoke of the Savior's sacrifice for us as the ultimate act of friendship. Jesus is my friend. None other has given me so much. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. He gave his life for me. He opened the way to eternal life. Only a God could do this. I hope that I am deemed worthy of being a friend to him. That comes from the April 2000 talk entitled My Testimony. While serving in the presidency of the 70, Elder Marlon K. Jensen referred to the Savior's words found in John 15 and invited the church members to follow the Savior's example of true friendship. She says, quote, Having been so richly blessed by the church's friendship, I pray, by, by Christ's friendship, sorry, I pray that, he, that we will now be to others what he is to us, a true friend. At no time will we be more Christ-like than we, when we are a friend. I testify of the inestimable value of friends. I know that when we offer ourselves in friendship, we make a most significant contribution to God's work and to the happiness and progression of his children. Are we seeking for the joy and happiness of others? Now, as with all things, there's a balance to that. Are we seeking to please others and to make them happy and just to just go to go along to get along? Or are we seeking to truly make them happy? To show them the way, to, to grow together in love and righteousness. A true friend keeps their friends on the path or helps guide them to the path. Not with persuade, not with anger, not with pride, not with 
loathing or any of the other things. I can't, I can't remember the, the exact, um, the exact quote of the scriptures at this moment. But with long suffering, with patience, with kind and kindness and love, do we seek the betterness, the betterment of others? Do we seek for the spiritual uplifting of those around us? Brothers and sisters, the Savior is telling us here again and again. Verse 17. These things I command you, that ye love one another. If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. We are asked to love one another. Sometimes love is a little bit rough. <laughs> Sometimes there's a little bit of correction that needs to be involved. But when done with love, with patience, with understanding, we can find our way into the glory of the Savior. If we strive to keep His will, if we strive to do His will, to bring His children the glory of the gospel, to bring them to Him, to show them the path, He will take care of them. We are told that it will be glorious if we will save but one soul. We shouldn't let pride get to our hearts and our heads and say, oh, well, you know, on my mission I saved, I baptized this many people. That's not what, that's not what he's talking about. If we, as we strive to do these things, it changes us. We become more Christ-like. We begin to look up, up from our drudgery and our mundaneness of the world around us, and we begin to look up to the sky above, and we see the freedom, and soon we are lifted up as on eagles' wings, wrapped in the glory of God. because we will find ourselves yoked with the Savior in His work. That is what the Savior is asking us to do. He knows how difficult it is. He's done it Himself. He's asking us to pick up, to pick up our cross and bear it joyfully, faithfully and diligently. knowing that he will be there with us. And isn't that what we want? Don't we want to be where the Savior is? Brothers and sisters, the Savior is out working. He's not at home. 
playing video games, relaxing, hiding away. Savior is out working. Work can look different. I will agree with you on that. Maybe inviting a friend over to play video games is what's necessary. At times we do need singular moments to ourselves and just, just with ourselves and the Lord. But the gospel is a doctrine of work. The gospel is a way of living. The Lord has asked us this week, time and time again, keep my commandments, love one another, and has promised us amazing blessings if we will do both of those things. I testify that these things are true, and I pray that as we go forward throughout this weekend, that we will have his spirit with us. I pray that we will continue on in faith and in diligence. I testify that he loves you and each one of us. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.